Hello, and welcome to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp, and today I'm joined with a wonderful group of actors as they take us through Act Four of William Shakespeare's Richard II. Um, as we were just talking about Act Four, this is a short and sweet act. Um, it's only one scene. I have noticed it, it, it tends to be a trend in um, a lot of Shakespeare's plays that act four is shorter. There's maybe a, a great deal of reasons for that. And yes, <laughs> what just happened in act three, everyone? What, where did we end just before we begin? It's always fun to, to go back. Gardeners. <laughs> That's right. We ended with the gardeners. And the verse speaking gardeners, very important. Yeah, and I definitely know when I'm at my crappy day job, I always am relating it to the politics of the upper class. That's oh, totally. <laughs> just casually. Just <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You do that in verse? <laughs> of course. I, I, I am a pentameter with rhyming couplets. <laughs> with rhyming couplets. There are so many at the end. We ended with a, a whole bunch of rhyming couplets. I think we ended with like six. There, there were six lines that could have, there are 12 lines where at the end of each one, it could have been the, the exit line, but we just kept going. Um, and of course, we also find out that the, the queen, um, is the last to find out that Richard is going to be deposed, which like problematic, man. You gotta tell the wife. She's seven. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, like, anyway, so and and right before that, we had our first encounter of uh, Richard and Bolingbroke, big clash of the fire and water which was the, the first time we had seen the two of them on stage together since uh, very early in the play. So that was another sort of culminating uh, moment. Um, so as we get into act four, I, I did just wanna mention a, a tiny bit of history about the danger of this particular act and scene. Um, this was a very popular play during Shakespeare's lifetime, Richard II. And it was published in Quarto um, in the, I want to say like 1597 or something. I could be wrong about that. In the Quarto, the entire part of the play, of this um, act, excuse me, that has Richard in it does not appear in the Quarto. The entire bit with him giving his crown is just not in the Quarto. The first time it appears was in the folio which there's a lot of different reasons this could be, but I, my, my idea probably because it's the most sort of romantic historic idea <laughs> is that this scene was just too dangerous to be published. The idea of, uh, it's really, you know, it's, it's sort of colloquially called the deposition scene. It's really the abdication scene. I mean, Richard is giving up his crown as opposed to being um, deposed. Although the, the verb depose keeps showing up throughout this play. It sort of haunts us from the beginning. Um, but so I think it's really significant that this was not in the quarto because it's some of the most incredible sort of lyrical verse in the play. Um, but it wasn't in the quarto. 
And very famously, um, I believe this was in the early 1600s. I don't have my Shakespeare library with me. So this is from memory. And I do apologize if I'm if getting my dates wrong. But the, um, there, was, there was a performance that was commissioned before an attempted coup. It was, uh, and actually it was one time when Shakespeare's company got in quite hot water. But they got paid a huge amount of money to restage Richard II, which they didn't want to do at the time because they're like, everyone's seen this play. Like, that's one of our old plays. Like, we're not doing that anymore. We got new stuff. How about measure for measure? You know, but no, they wanted, um, they wanted specifically that play. They wanted Richard II to be played the day before this attempted and utterly failed uprising um, because they thought that the sort of legitimizing of what, having the people watch a king give up his crown would per, perchance pave the way for um, Queen Elizabeth giving up her crown. This did not happen at all. <laughs> no one joined the attempted coup. There was not a popular uprising and all the traitors, the traitors were beheaded and, or well, were hung, drawn and quartered, which I think we, we talked about in a, in a previous episode and we don't need to go over that ground again because it's just not appetizing. So that is I think significant in the history of this of this play and that there was it was seen at least by these people there's these nobles who were again I'm so sorry I'm fuzzy on the details I just don't have access to my books right now but it the people who were attempting the coup obviously thought that this play had a lot of political potency, which is why they chose this particular play to be staged. Was that um, Essex that did that? Yes, yes, I'm it, trying was, to recall, it was. You're this, ringing bells here and I can't... The Essex Rebellion, I, which I believe was around maybe 1599. I, I, I remember um, James Shapiro in his excellent book, uh, 1599, The Year in the Life of William Shakespeare, does a lot about this, this uprising. But I can't recall if it was the sort of year after or the year before or something. It's around this time, which was is quite a few years after this play was first um, performed. But it's just interesting to me. I think it, uh, the play went through a couple different quarto versions and, and publication. And this scene was never in them, but it was in the folio. So, well, not just a bit with Richard. The, the nobles quarreling at the beginning, which is where we're going to start, that was all in the play but then it sort of ended with Bolingbroke saying lords prepare yourself and Richard just didn't appear um in in the in the published version so I I think I think we're another reason to be very grateful for the first folio because I think this play would be missing a lot if it was missing this bit between Bolingbroke and Richard that we're about to read I also just wanted to share right before we we dove into this the um it's just this observation I had when I was rereading this this morning that this this scene is there's a whole bunch of challenging people to trial by combat has suddenly become very in vogue and I'm like why is that oh maybe because that's how we started the play and that's what Bolingbroke did so now it's like let's do what Bolingbroke did and like challenge people to trial by combat and it's, it's like the ruler's behavior becomes mimicked by the ruling class, right? So there's there's something, I think there's something interesting there. Um, I haven't quite developed that idea yet. It worked for think, him. Yeah. It did it work, work for him. For him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he got exiled, but I guess he is king now. Yeah, so. king now yeah. so 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we're also, we have our, our one uh, bushy Baggett and Green Baggett, who is the survivor, um, who's really put on the spot here. Um, so let's, let's read through this wonderful little whippersnapper of an act. And um, yes, as always, please feel free to uh, chime in and say, wait, I've got a thought at any point. All right. Call forth Baggett. Now, Baggett, freely speak thy mind. What thou dost know of noble Gloucester's death, who wrought it with the king and who performed the bloody office of his timeless end? Then set before my face the Lord O'Murrow. Cousin, stand forth and look upon that man. My Lord O'Murrow, I know your daring tongue scorns to unsay but once it hath delivered. And that dead time when Gloucester's death was plotted, I heard you say, is not my arm of length that reaches from the restful English court as far as Calais to mine uncle's head? Amongst much other talk that very time, I heard you say that you had rather refuse the offer of a hundred thousand crowns than Bolingbroke's return to England, adding withal how blessed this land would be is this in this your cousin's death. Princes and noble lords, what answer shall I make to this base man? Shall I so much dishonor my fair stars on equal terms to give him chastisement? Either I must or have mine honor soiled with the attainder of his slanderous lips. There is my gauge, the manual seal of death that marks thee out for hell. I say thou liest, and will maintain what thou hast said is false in thy heart blood, though being all too base to stain the temper of my knightly sword. Beg it forbear, thou shalt not take it up. Excepting one, I would he were the best in all this presence that hath moved me so. Okay, so I'm going to pause here. I think it's very interesting that Elmerle, who was previously very tight with Baggett, Bushy, and Green, has suddenly decided to pull rank and say, oh, well, you can't listen to him. He's not even nobility. You know, it's, it's just an interesting sort oh. of... Yeah, well, and as we're going to see, O'Murrell is going to so. be accused by basically <laughs> everyone on stage of doing something bad. And so O'Murrell is just like going out swinging here. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty silly. I just um, have one question. So oh, yeah, Bag please. When Baggett went to Ireland to meet up oh. with Richard, did they yes. cross paths ever? Did they we actually each other. I know, right? That's a great question. We never hear what happens to Baggett after that scene when he said goodbye to Bushy and Green. And then this is the next time he appears. So that's like, we're, we've missed him for an entire act um, and a half. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a great point. It's like, did he ever meet up with Richard? Was he captured? Was um, Yeah, they just he just appears. Yeah, <laughs> and I think in one of the previous scenes, when Bolingbroke is talking about, oh yeah, we're gonna go to this, we're gonna go to Bristol Castle and we're gonna get Bushy and Baggett. Like he doesn't mention Green. So I think there's, the, there's, there's definitely like a, com a comic undertone of sort of like, well, they're all the same, these caterpillars of the Commonwealth. We'll just kill as many of them as we can get our hands on. But it is interesting to me that Baggett did survive and was not executed because as we're going to see in the next two acts, a lot of people are going to be executed under this new, um, this new political uh, shift. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. <laughs> so they're accusing Omer. So Baggett is accusing O'Murrell of killing Gloucester. Yes. Is, and that's, isn't that from the beginning of the play? 
Yes. So it's, it's, that's a wonderful point, Zoe. Like, again, this, this very much feels like we're rehashing act one because the whole big question of act one was who killed the Duke of Gloucester. And there is a lot of implication, although it's never directly said that Richard was responsible for Gloucester's death. Um, Mowbray, who was his guard, is also accused, but he vehemently says, I neglected my duty as guard, but I did not kill him. And it's very, still historically, historians are very unsure of actually who did kill uh, the Duke of Gloucester. Um, But so obviously nobody wants to be in the position of being accused of killing the Duke of Gloucester because now Bolingbroke is in power. That was what he was passionate about at the beginning of the play is who'd kill my uncle. So I think uh, the nobility, the best way to do it is to shuffle around and accuse each other of doing this. But also not only is he accusing um, uh, O'Murrell of Gloucester's death, he's also saying you didn't want Bolingbroke to come back to England, right? You wanted him to be banished in perpetuity, as it were. <laughs> so that's it. That's yet adding yet another um, accusation. Um, and we're going to see the, a, a lot of interesting repetitions of the word dishonor and honor. And, um, and who is accusing each other of lying, which would be another reason to take someone to trial, was, would be if they were you know, if you're accusing them of perjury. So there's, there's a lot of, um, it's a lot of accusations going on here. Um, and now we, we are going to meet in a row, three new Lords that we haven't met before, um, who are also going to accuse each other of different things. Um, I think what's, also just important to note is that we as the audience have not witnessed any of these things happen. So we actually don't know who is lying and who's telling the truth because none of these conversations did we, have we um, seen happen in this play. So I think there is a degree of, I mean, I I think what, what act four and five do beautifully structurally um, and just tone wise is they really do this wonderful balance between kind of hilarious farce and comedy, and then also very, very high stakes of like accusing someone of treason actually becomes kind of funny because they're all just accusing each other. So it's like, wow, all of us be executed and it'll, you know, maybe then we'll real, rid the realm of traitors. But um, I think I think the scene uh, works best when, especially this beginning part, when there is that sort of balance of, of like the, they're taking the stakes very seriously, but there's also like a, a, a quickness to it that makes it kind of funny um, as well. Uh, otherwise, it kind of becomes like, oh, who killed the Duke of Gloucester? but who there's there's the something Gloucester yeah <laughs> who ca- we never even met him why do we care you know it's like come on <laughs> um anyway so now we're gonna meet uh Fitzwater which probably means that there it's it was a, at some point someone's illegitimate son <laughs> right because the 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 Fitzroy was the last name given to illegitimate sons or daughters of the of the king or queen? 
So I think whoever water is at some point. <laughs> anyway, so here comes in uh, Fitzwater. If that thy valor stand on sympathy, there is my gauge, Amaral, and gauge to thine. But that fair son which shows me where thou standst, I heard thee say, and vauntingly thou spakest it, that thou wert cause of noble Gloucester's death. If thou deniest it twenty times, thou liest, and I will turn thy falsehood to thy heart, where it was forged with my rapier's point. Thou darest not coward live to see that day. Now by my soul I would it were this hour. Fitzwater, thou art damned to hell for this. Amaral, thou liest. His honor is as true in this appeal as thou art all unjust. And that thou art so, there I throw my gauge to prove it on <laughs> thee to the extremest point of mortal breathing. Seize it if thou darest. And if I do not, may my hands rot off and never brandish more revengeful steel over the glittering helmet of my foe. I task the urge to the like, forsworn or moral, and spur thee on with full as many lies as may be hollowed in thy treacherous ear from sun to sun. There is my honor's pawn. Engage it to the trial if thou darest. Who sets me else? By heaven, I'll throw it all. I have a thousand spirits in one breast answered twenty thousand such as you. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> I, I also, the, part of the comedy, I think, also has to do with everyone just, like, throwing gloves at O'Merle and him, like, picking them up and just, like, having all these gloves that he's carrying around, like, still maintaining his dignity or desperately trying to. I really so think this funny. is just, like, comedy, can be comedy gold, which you, people don't expect, and they're like, oh, it's a history play, but, like, when, when it's done really well i think this can be like one of the funniest scenes in the play oh, um, wait, so it just, reminds me of like what was it the, the, the like eddie the house of parliament yeah they start calling at each other and go, oh yes absolutely yeah. this is Love probably it. happening in a very similar arena um because at one point uh although we never the somebody of westminster is is assigned to um, to watch over someone until their day of trial, so I, I I like the idea that it's it's taking place in a very similar like the Houses of Parliament um, for sure. And just an interesting little thing in the quarto, um, this bit with the another lord, it it only appears in the quarto. It's not in the folio. So this is where it, it there starts to be more and more sort of textual variations as we get later in the play, and I don't quite know where that is. I'm not a scholar on, on textual variants, but it, I, I do think it's interesting that um, there are so many differences between the quarto and folio versions as well. Okay, so I'm gonna read in for Surrey here. My Lord Fitzwater, I do remember well the very time O'Merle and you did talk. Tis very true. You were in presence then, and you can witness with me this is true. As false by heaven as heaven itself is true. Surrey, thou liest. Woo, thank you, Surrey. Dishonorable boy. <laughs> Sorry, I just, like, it's just, <clears throat> I really want people to be, like, jumping up on chairs and, like, pointing at each other across like great distances and like hitting each other with gloves. I just like want this to turn into a clown show. Like it's just so silly. <laughs> Dishonorable boy, that lie shall lie so heavy on my sword that it shall render vengeance and revenge till thou the lie giver and that lie do lie in earth as quiet as thy father's skull. Eat that. In proof whereof, there is my honor's pawn. Engage it to the trial if thou darest. 
that's five gauges now, I think. Yeah, um, so many gauges. <laughs> yeah, how many gauges is Omoral carrying at this point? I should feel like I should go back, like, <laughs> the stack of gloves. So Omoral threw down his, right, to accuse Baggett, and, ba and Bollinger said, don't pick it up. And then Fitzwater throws one down. And then Percy throws one down. <laughs> and then another Lord throws one down. So then that means, O'Merle, you've then picked up three gloves and lost one. <laughs> and then Surrey has just thrown one down and Fitzwater's thrown his other glove down. So, so far we have five gloves that have been thrown down. Yeah, this is going to be, I, I, they all got to be like different colors. And then, <laughs> yes, you can keep um, track of who's got whose gloves. Yeah. And then you're going to ask somebody, because you've run out of gloves, O'Merle. You're going to ask someone in a second, <laughs> somebody give me a freaking glove. I need another one. <laughs> so then somebody will give you a glove and you'll throw it down and pick it up because you're accusing someone who isn't there to a duel. So you're like performing. The, anyway, it's just total this is utter chaos. Amazing. This is yeah. like, here's one of my favorite scenes <laughs> that I've ever read. <laughs> Awesome. Let's go from uh, Fitzwater's line. <laughs> uh, how fondly dost thou spur a forward horse? If I dare eat or drink or breathe or live, I dare meet Surrey in a wilderness and spit upon him whilst I say he lies and lies and lies. There is my bond of faith to tie the to my strong correction. As I intend to thrive in this new world, Amurl is guilty of my true appeal. Besides, I heard the banished Norfolk say that thou, Amurl, didst send two of thy men to execute the noble duke at Calais. Some honest Christian, trust me with a gauge. That Norfolk <laughs> lies, here do I throw down this, if he may be repealed to try his honor. But these differences shall all rest under gauge, till Norfolk be repealed, repealed he shall be. And though mine enemy restored again to all his lands and signories, when he's returned against Omeril, we will enforce his trial. That honorable day shall never be seen. Many a time hath banished Norfolk fought for Jesu Christ and glorious Christian field, streaming the ensign of the Christian cross against those pagans, Turks, and Saracens, and toiled with works of war, retired himself to Italy, and there, at Venice, gave his body to that pleasant country's earth and his pure soul unto his captain Christ, under whose colors he had fought so long. Why, Bishop, is Norfolk dead? As surely as I live, my lord. Sweet peace conduct his sweet soul to the bosom of good old Abraham. Lords appellants, your differences shall all rest under gauge till we assign you to your days of trial. Okay, so I'm just going to pause there. So that's our sort of like first chunk of the scene. This is sort of our little first, I guess you would call like a French scene, right? Nobody has entered and exited since we began this the, the scene. So what do we think of, of this of this bit so far? Like you I said, love my boy Omero, like he just wants to fight. <laughs> I feel that. He'll challenge a dead man. He don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, did you have something as well? Yeah, well, every, everything that you just, just said about the humor, the comedy that's in it, and the joy in the staging of it with, mm. with all the gloves flying. Are we, are we saying Norfolk or Norfolk? Oh, good question. I think we had said Norfolk before. Yeah, like Norfolk. Um, but also, oh, I realized that I was looking at the folio and 
the nice thing about the folio, even though sometimes it's like, ah, the U's are V's and the V's are U's and help. But there is something cool, which is that spelling was a bit more phonetic during that time. So the way that balling broke is spelled in the folio is bullying brook. So I, I have a feeling that that's actually how it's supposed to be. But I have also seen, heard so many variants of all of these names um, in different productions. I don't know that there is a definitive way. Do you, um, do you, do you want us to be consistent? Or yeah, don't? yeah, absolutely. Let's, we'll say uh, Norfolk. But I, I, I also think it's interesting just uh, in terms of, of some rhythmic irregularities that we have, we have a lot in the, the, what we've read so far, we have a lot of um, initial trochees, which is just a very fancy term for the first two syllables are, are the opposite of what they normally are in Shakespeare's verse. So instead of da-dum, they're da-dum, right? So there's a lot of uh, heart attacks. Mean, <laughs> the ens Would you say streaming the ensign or streaming the ensign? Probably ensign. Um, but it's it's interesting here that the Carlisle right now all of a sudden we have uh, we 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 met Carlisle back in Act Three. There's no explanation again, Nazla, like your characters. There's no explanation as to like how did Carlisle come with Richard because Carlisle was there when Richard had his big down down court down king moment. Did they get separated then? Has he been with Bullingbrook? Falling broke, whomever, <laughs> Henry, um, for the whole time. Like, what's going on? I don't know. I feel um, like people are just like, I need Christ. And so, yes. Uh, like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> we need our ecclesiastical authority, which I think it's, it's, it's very important that we have the ecclesiastical authority and you have one hell of a speech coming up, uh, no, mm -hmm. no pun intended there, is it's important that we feel, so now we know how the ruling class is sort of dealing with this shakeup in the government. It's important now that we learn how is the church dealing with this because that is the possibly more, even more powerful force in the country at the time. And this is pre-Henry VIII breaking with Rome. So we're still very much a Catholic nation. So that's, that's also just important to note. Oh, and one um, other pronunciation thing. Yeah. Is it Saracens or Saracens? I think it's Saracens. Um, and this has to do with basically people who aren't Christians, right? All of these... And, and Henry IV is actually, when Henry becomes Henry IV, he is going to be a very big part of, he's always going to be wanting to go on a whole bunch of crusades. And he will end up dying in a room called Jerusalem. He thought it was prophesied he would die in Jerusalem. And then he dies in a room called Jerusalem. And he's like, oh, irony of ironies. <laughs> Man. Anyway, I'm curious as to like how Bolingbroke, like what his perspective is on this whole scene. Oh, absolutely. This is, like, this is like, as you see him rise in power, it's like the more bullshit he has to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> so it's true. just like the play. It's funny, like as Richard loses, we've sort of touched on this, but as Richard loses power, it's like the more... Um, in touch he becomes the more you know 
uh, with himself and with life. And, and as Bolingbroke gains power, it's like you're seeing all the bullshit that a king has to put up with. All the yeah. like flattery and the relentless like people trying to prove their loyalty to you and absolutely yeah so I'm so I'm curious as to like what he's doing during this scene like watching all of this happen absolutely and I I have a very faint memory and this could be wrong of Rory Kinnear when he played um when he played Bolingbroke in the, the hollow crown of just being like Oh God, you know, just having this expression <laughs> on his face, like, is this what I, is this mm-hmm. what I have to deal with now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, Ever. And a similar, a similar kind of almost already world weary, world weariness by the final scene when all of these, these people are just dumping these heads of executed traitors at his feet. And he's like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? Like, this is a yeah. horrible <laughs> job, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, job's the thesis of the crown just (laughs) yes absolutely and this is probably very obvious but and i'm one of the things i've expressed is you know not being so familiar with these early history plays this has been just a real treat but listening to this scene i mean there's obviously extraordinary um um opportunity for exploitation of sort of slapstick stuff with all these oh yeah but on the other hand, I, I see this almost as a Monty Python satire. It's almost very, I mean, it's, it has such a ridiculously, and you can see John Cleese, well, I can outdo you. Yeah. It, it, it has both the slapstick, but that sort of English satiric, satiric quality. Anyway. Oh, absolutely. Say. Very much. Absolutely. I mean, I think it would be brilliant. I, I, there was one of my favorite Monty Python sketches was the, the hospital for overacting, um, <laughs> where they have a whole Richard III ward of like actors like, now is the winter. And they're all just like, they're like, oh, yes, they're there. We can't help them. They're past help, you know, but very much. I think, I think the comedy in this, though, also, which, which I think is true of a lot of comedy within a, a, a situation is that it's actually not funny at all for the characters involved. Right. It's like deathly serious, but it's really funny for us being outside of the situation and not sharing their stakes, um, which, you know, is some might be a commentary on like <laughs> how warped our, our sense cynical. of humor can be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How cynical <laughs> we have to be. But I, I do think there's a lot um, in this play and I've just been brushing up on on King John, which which I'm also in the process of recording right now, there is a lot of sort of political satire in these plays just about the expediency of alliances and and how quickly people will turn and stab each other in the back if it if it does them well. Um, Sometimes the the pace actually with which they will will turn is actually what makes the the scene comedic. Um, It's just like, wait, like one scene ago you were between an alliance and there's wonderful part in King John uh, where these these guys they meet they go they fight and then the the town that they're trying to get in is like well you guys are both really good I don't know who won and then both of the kings who just fought each other are like fuck this town let's attack this town and they're like yeah let's do it and so then they go to attack the town and the town's like whoa 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 okay hang on hang on before you attack us how about your children marry each other? And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. That would solve all of this, you know? And then they do, and this happens within one scene. 
And it's just like, it's, it's to the point of just being a parody of how all of these, as, as you say, Zoe, these sort of protestations of, of, of fealty are just so hollow. They ring so hollow after a while because you're like, no, none of these people would, if Bolingbroke didn't have the backing from all these, the nobility, you know, the rest of the nobility would not be backing him. And this is something that we'll get into in Henry the Fourth, parts one and two, that essentially the Percy family is like, you got your power because we backed you and you, we deserve much more recognition for that because we were way more um, powerful in the kingdom when you were banished, you know. So there's a, it's a lot of really complicated politics going on. Um, and, and now we're going to get into, and I love the fact that the Duke of York was not present for this because uh, of course, so let's all remember that O'Merle is his son. So I feel like he would probably have something to say about, about all of these accusations. I would have beat them about present. the hand. Yeah, my... exactly. But we'll see a oh, different side of York in, in act five and, and what his beliefs are on, on loyalty to the crown. So yeah, in comes York with some new news. Great Duke of Lancaster, I come to thee from plume-plucked Richard, who with willing soul adopts thee heir, and his high scepter yields to the possession of thy royal hand. Ascend his throne, descending now from him, and long live Henry, fourth of that name. In God's name, I'll ascend the regal throne. Mary, God forbid. Worse in this royal presence may I speak, yet best beseeming me to speak the truth. Would God that any in this noble presence were enough noble to be upright judge of noble Richard? Then true noblesse would learn him forbearance from so foul a wrong. What subject can give sentence on his king? And who sits here that is not Richard's subject? Thieves are not judged, but they are by to hear, although apparent guilt be seen in them. And shall the figure of God's majesty, his captain, steward, deputy-elect, anointed, crowned, planted many years, be judged by subject and inferior breath, and he himself not present? Oh, forfend it, God, that in a Christian climate souls refined should show so heinous, black, obscene a deed. I speak to subjects, and a subject speaks, stirred up by God, thus boldly for his king. My lord of Hereford here, whom you call king, is a foul traitor to proud Hereford's king. And if you crown him, let me prophesy, the blood of English shall manure the ground, and future ages groan for this foul act. Peace shall go sleep with Turks and infidels, and in this seat of peace, tumultuous wars shall kin with kin and kind with kind confound. Disorder, horror, Fear and mutiny shall here inhabit, and this land be called the field of Golgotha and dead men's skulls. Oh, if you raise this house against this house, it will the woefulest division prove that ever fell upon this cursed earth. Prevent it, resist it, let it not be so, lest child, child's children cry against you, woe. Whoa, man. Wow, what an that incredible speech. That is a speech. hell of a speech. Dang. Yes. Wow. Beautifully read, Nazla. Like that is like. I think it's a it's a wonderful moment. It starts with this this short line, that's missing. Like all of these beats, and it really just gets everyone's attention. And then it goes and it goes through, and it's a very you know very 
rhetorically well-constructed argument of essentially like, this is highly problematic and here's the reasons why. I think it's fairly easy to understand. I don't think there's a lot of difficult language in it, which also makes it very sort of visceral. The field of Golgotha, now please uh, forgive me if I'm, I'm wrong about this, but I was, it's where Christ was crucified, correct, is the Golgotha. Yes. And yep. that it, in Aramaic and in Greek, it meant skull or the place of the skull. And it was this place right outside the walls of Jerusalem that was like the execution place. So that's, that's what that sort of context. And again, as we get further and further in, and, and we're going to just see Richard compare himself yet again to Christ, there is a really interesting, there's a lot of sort of Christian imagery that sort of creeps in as Richard descends. I love the Duke of York's uh, wonderful ascend his throne, descending now from him. I think is this amazing up down image that we're just about to get when uh, Richard and Bolingbroke have the crown between them. One is rising, the other is, is falling. Um, and so this up down, the rise and fall of kings, I think is, is, is a beautiful image. I also think the ascend his throne, not the throne, but his throne is like very telling to me about York, that there's something, he's not totally there yet, you know, he's well, like- look at his first sentence in Great Duke of Lancaster. So yeah, it falls on the Duke. And this whole scene, I always feel like there's so much stuff that is between the lines. It's never been made explicit. And then Carlisle gives this amazing speech that you're, it's, you're right, it's rhetorically really well-constructed. It's a good yeah. argument. And he's about to be called a traitor and, okay, off with your head. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And the last time we saw Bolenbrook, he, he, they were just like, okay, we'll go to London. Okay, we'll go to London. Yeah. Nothing was explicitly said. And I will take your crown and throw you away. Yes. That never happened. But here we are, and, and it's already built to this point without anybody having said anything. Yeah. It really does seem to me like this is a kind of, pushing a rock down a hill kind of thing that it was like the whisper of a suggestion that just, and it's like, you can't stop the momentum. It just keeps going. And there's something about, so he, it's very specific, right? What York is saying. So Richard is adopting you to be his heir, which means that even if Richard were to have children, this would, the throne would pass to you when Richard dies. But then he says his high scepter, right? His position, he yields to the possession of your royal hand, which is amazing that you've gone in, one, in the space of like four lines from being Duke to being royal. And we're saying thee and thy. Yes, absolutely. There's, there's, an, there's an intimacy about, about this. And of course, just for me, bringing it all back to this is a family drama. This is about a power struggle within a family. And I, yeah, I just, it is like, when does it happen? When does Richard give away his crown? It's just so kind of slippery when you try and pinpoint uh, a, a, a moment. There is so much here. And I, I think we see with, with Carlisle, the, the continuation of the civil war imagery that we're gonna 
is going to, we're going to be haunted by civil war and civil war is going to continue to tear this realm apart for the next, you know, seven plays um, in the series for the, the whole seven, all eight plays in the miniseries, you know, there's just a lot of civil war. But this is a particularly, I think, we had the blood-stained grass, I think, image that Bolingbroke gave us in, in Act 3. But here we have the blood of English shall manure the grounds, like that the plants will, will grow from civil war. You know, there's something just so deeply disturbing about, about these images. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts about, about the, the Carlisle speech? It like, even though it's um, supposed to be doing a different thing, it kind of reminded me of the Mark Anthony speech, just because at the beginning, Carlisle just says noble so many times. And uh, yes. I think he says honorable, like so many times, definitely like more manipulative than what Carlisle is doing. Yeah. yeah. Carlisle is doing. Um, but it just like kept, it just really reminded me of that. I also just watched like a really interesting Julius Caesar like last week. So I think it's also just like on my mind. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. And I, I think that, that kind noble, of, noble. It, it, it's strong in the way Antony's speech is strong and, and it's beautifully constructed, but it gets him nowhere. Yeah. Unlike no Antony. <laughs> Unlike Antony. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's refreshing to hear someone stand up for Richard. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's probably also because I'm reading Richard, so I'm seeing yes. it through a little, <laughs> a little bit of a filter, maybe. <laughs> but I'm like, finally, somebody like everyone's been so anti for so long, and I think it's interesting that I I believe that this is the first moment Bolingbroke's line right before that, "In God's name, I'll ascend the regal throne." It's the first time we hear him, you know, be like, "All right." I'll be king. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas he's been sort of playing, you know, being sort of uh, wishy-washy about how willing he is to take the throne. Now it's official, I feel like. Well, it's, a it's the first time that it's public that Richard is, is yielding it. So it's, right. it, 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 now he's like, oh, well, okay. Right. It's now that he's if you're it calling me Henry fourth of my name, I <laughs> guess. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna drag me, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's and and again that ascension, I'm going to rise up to this position, um, which you already have, you know, in this kind of extraordinary way. And also by becoming the Duke, there's not a lot of dukes, there's a lot of, you know, earls and viscounts and lords. <laughs> but Duke is like just below a prince, I think, in terms of the if I'm remembering my Er, um, the breakdown of the aristocracy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm fairly certain that a duke is like one of the, the highest positions that you can have in the realm. So you're already, by getting your title, you have gained a huge amount from being, anyway. So, and then in comes, I love, he, it, it's this wonderful, and then Northumberland comes in and Northumberland being like Mr. Snark, I think, um, just here appears again. And he hasn't spoken in this whole scene. He's obviously been there, but now he speaks. Um, and he says, well, have you argued, sir? And for your pains of capital treason, we arrest you here. Damn, capital treason. Wow. And again, remember, what is our, what is our 
if you're found guilty of treason, you get hung, 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 drawn, and quartered. Not something fun to do. Mm. Um, my Lord of Westminster, be it your charge to keep him safely till his day of trial. And this is where the quarto ends until after Richard exits. Wow. Um, but in the folio, it continues <laughs> to say, Northumberland says, May it please you, lords, to grant the common suit. Fetch hither Richard, then common view he may surrender, so we shall proceed without suspicion. I will be his conduct. Lords, you that are here are under our arrest. Procure your sureties for your days of answer. Little are we beholding to your love, and little looked for at your helping hands. Essentially, you're saying they're like, get your lawyers in order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Be yeah. sure your legal representatives you. are briefed, and we'll see you in court. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody leaves because they all want to see who's coming on in and who should appear. But in the Hollow Crown version, Ben Wishaw riding on a donkey. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's amazing. The only way. The, the only, only way, way to enter. enter. He's just really leaning into the whole martyr Christ thing. Love Absolutely. it. Living Absolutely. Living for it. Yeah. Alack, why am I sent for to a king before I have shook off the regal thoughts wherewith I reigned? I hardly yet have learned to insinuate, flatter, bow, and bend my knee. Give sorrow leave a while to tutor me to his submission. Yet I well remember... The favors of these men, were they not mine? Did they not sometimes cry all hail to me? So Judas did to Christ, but he in twelve found truth in all but one. I in twelve thousand none. God save the king. Will no man say amen? Am I both priest and clerk? Well then, amen. God save the king, although I be not he. And yet, amen, if heaven do think him me. To do what service am I sent for hither? To do that office of thine own good will, which tired majesty did make thee offer, the resignation of thy state and crown to Henry Bolinbrook. Give me the crown. Here, cousin. Seize the crown. Here, cousin. On this side my hand, on that side thine. Now is this golden crown like a deep well, that owes two buckets filling one another, the emptier ever dancing in the air, the other down unseen and full of water. That bucket down and full of tears am I, drinking my griefs whilst, whilst you mount up on high. I thought that's, you had been... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, that's absolutely amazing. Those first, the give me the crown here, cousin, seize the crown here, oh, yeah. cousin. The yeah. opportunities for interpretation there. Ooh, oh, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Oh, God. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, so here, fun. take it. Take it away from me. Yeah. yeah. Take it. Yeah. I think that um, is such a wonderful point, Zoe, that there, and we're going to see there's, there's a lot of words that sound like other words in this scene. There's a lot of wordplay and you can make a lot of different choices. <clears throat> it, it really gives you so many choices for how you want to interpret certain lines. What do we think of, of Richard? Zoe, how is this a different Richard from Act 3? I mean, he's just on fire. Yes! <laughs> I, love, I love this. I love all the things he gets to say in this scene because it's so yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see as it goes on, but it's um, so layered as far as the performative aspect of it, but also it's so deep and like the, just the layers of the language, like you were saying, how everything sort of has this double meaning. He is just like, I mean, also it's so much of it is rhyming couplets or it gets to be soon, like back and forth, rhyming couplets, rhyming couplets. It's so pleasing to the ear. It's so, the flow is just like nonstop. He's really like in his power in a weird way that we have never seen him before, just as he's losing all of his power. Uh, So interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of saying earlier, like we've never seen him so in touch with Mm. himself. Very self-possessed, isn't he? Very self-possessed. And, and way. It's, yeah. I think it's also that thing of like, where it, I mean, it is a total reversal. You sort of see Bolingbroke doing this earlier on when you have nothing left to lose. It's that power that only comes from people who are utterly powerless. Yeah. Um, and when you have nothing left to lose, like, you know, he's basically teasing his cousin who is the king now like it's a dangerous position for him. he knows that he's in deep shit basically yeah. like he knows he, his life is in danger and yep. he's like trying to take every little shot that he can so yeah it is that like freedom that comes from losing everything it reminds me in a lot of ways of the end of Antony and Cleopatra Mm. Cleopatra has a lot of these little speeches and moments like this where they're like, okay, well, this is going to happen to you. And she's just a total badass. (laughs) She's responding to all of this stuff. Yeah, that's a great comparison. That's such a good comparison. There is something in that comparison of, I'm I'm looking for the right word. It's like, it's not quite self-awareness. It's just like almost being above the situation that you just being able to see with such clarity the situation that you're in and how deep and and both both of those cases both Cleopatra and Richard in this moment the deep irony of the situation like there's something just so sharp you could cut yourself with it you know about the situation and I think I think that Richard is having fun walking on that knife's edge yeah um, definitely and kind of being like "Ooh, am I gonna fall no you know, like, there's a lot of really interesting, it's like his language gains power as he loses political power. Like, he just, he, there's something, he just becomes like a, a total fighter in this yeah. moment where he hadn't been before. There's these huge, like, sort of almost like romantic poet, like, stranded on a rock things going on in Act 3. And here you have, it's just, like, the super insightful, just, like, surgical precision um, that is just so, I mean, it's just such a fun, oh, it's just such a fun scene to hear. <laughs> anyway, and I, and I would love, uh, Mike, for you to, to also, as we go through this, you know, like, what is going on for Bolingbroke in this moment? Like, what is, is, I mean, this is so public, but yet this is like this very private moment between the two of them. It feels very private. Yeah, yeah. it does, interestingly. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. It's like, it's like, hold on, wait, I thought you were going to go easily here. 
and now, yeah. you're, put, now you're putting up a, a show and I'm putting up a fight. And then mm-hmm. by, even by the end of the thing, it's like the shadow of your grief or whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, I see what you're doing here. It did, yeah, wonderful. to the tower with you. I love that. I, I, yeah. Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's wonderful because that it just points out that this could be a private moment. Like, or Richard could be very public. And this this line of his, like, I thought you had been willing to resign. You know, yeah. and then Richard back to the public, like forcing yeah. it to be public. <laughs> I think yeah. there could be really interesting choices to be made about like, yeah. What is heard by all the nobility? What does Richard choose to tell the nobility? Yeah. And what does he zing just for Bolingbroke? I think there's some yeah. really interesting choices that can be made oh, um, definitely. as you go through. So have a think as, as, we, as we continue about what, what do you think you would want, want to do yeah. um, with that? And just it, like the, it's, it's almost like he's trying to drag him down with him. Like oh, he's yeah. so insulting and like he's really sort of trying to embarrass him here like even i even love like the here cousin sees the crown here because i always just hear like a dog whistle in my yeah. head but like here boy he, yes. here here's your treat you <laughs> yeah. wanted it right like it's this, yeah. it's so petty and at the same time like so powerful mm. i don't know it's yeah so fun. there is he he it's like he gains status in this in this scene like he just comes in and he's like, I own this shit, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, and now we're going to have a, a wonderful tennis match uh, about the word cares. So listen in listeners for the, the tennis match of the cares. <laughs> I thought you had been willing to resign. My crown I am, but still my griefs are mine. You may my glories and my state depose, but not my griefs. Still am I king of those. Part of your cares you give me with your crown. Your cares set up do not pluck my cares down. My care is loss of care by old care done. Your care is gain of care by new care won. The cares I give I have, though given away. They tend the crown, yet still with me they stay. Are you contented to resign the crown? I, no, no, I, for I must nothing be. Therefore, no, no, for I resign to thee. Okay, I'm now, just going to pause there just because of the wonderful wordplay that's going on. In, in the folio, it is I, as in the letter I, no, no, I. So I think there's so many, because both I sounds like both I as in first person, and also I as in yes, but also no sounds exactly like no as in knowledge. So you can really play, you can really make the decision about what combination of those, <laughs> like each of those words yeah. could have a different meaning, you know, which is yeah. marvelous. And um, then you have the repetition of those sounds and the, yes. for I must uh. no thing yes. be, therefore no, no, for I, it's all like, those two lines are literally just like, I, I, no, no, I, I. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's, br- oh my gosh, it's what, just. Are you, did you say in the, in the folio, it's spelled just the letter I? Yes, just the letter I. I, oh, wow. no, no, I. <laughs> Which to me is like, that's, that's amazing because it's, oh, yeah. it, 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 no, not, I'm, I am nothing. Therefore, I, I can't say anything because you've mm-hmm. taken away my title and therefore I am no thing, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's 
Oh, man. Remarkable. And now we have this wonderful, I, I see this as sort of the second incantation of Richard. He had that first one, you know, where he was weeping for joy to stand upon his country and he's saluting the earth with his hands. And this is like, he's created an unkinging ceremony. He's creating an oath to take himself away from being king, unkinged, as he's going to say in act five. Mm. Um, wonderful made up verb there. So. <laughs> now mark me how I will undo myself. I give this heavy weight from off my head and this unwieldy scepter from my hand, the pride of kingly sway from out my heart. With mine own tears, I wash away my balm. With mine own hands, I give away my crown. With mine own tongue, deny my sacred state. With mine own breath, release all duteous oaths. All pomp and majesty, I do forswear. My manners, rents, revenues, I forego. My acts, decrees, and statutes, I deny. God pardon all oaths that are broke to me. God keep all vows unbroke are made to thee. Make me that nothing have with nothing grieved, and thou, will, and thou with all pleased that hast all achieved. Long mayest thou live in Richard's seat to sit, and soon lie Richard in an earthy pit. God save King Henry, unkinged Richard says, and send him many years of sunshine days. What more remains? Wow. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so much sass. The sass. Oh, oh my god. Richard, Richard in an earthy pit. Yeah. <laughs> Which Richard's you're back seat. to sitting Richard's upon the ground seat. and yeah. you know, uh, yeah. digging your, your grave with your tears. But oh, I yeah. love the um I just wanted to point out it's it's a word that as as Robin would say, uh it doesn't mean what we think it means. The word undo had a much stronger meaning in Shakespeare's time. Mm -hmm. Undo here means to destroy. Like, mark me how I will destroy or ruin myself. It's like undone. I have unmade myself. Um, so that's just like a really interesting, I, I didn't realize that until very recently when I was sort of doing a, a quick language check. I was like, whoa, that is a much stronger word than I thought it was. Um, I am undone was just like, a, is a very strong um and there you, there you have the unkinged again, an unwieldy scepter. There's just something awkward about this. It's, this it, it's like you're taking off this costume that's very uncomfortable for you, you know? Um, <laughs> like the Falstaff costume, you need ice packs because um, it's just very uncomfortable and hot. Anyway, so I love that you also, you have these ending rhyming couplets and then you go, are we done here? Like, what's going on, you know? <laughs> Was that enough for you? <laughs> Do you want seconds? Like there's something really like sassy about just the little short half line of yeah. like, how's that? <laughs> yeah. Um, which uh, then Northumberland says, no more but that you read these accusations and these grievous crimes committed by your person and your followers against the state and profit of this land that by confessing them, the souls of men may deem that you are worthily deposed. Must I do so? And must I ravel out my weaved up follies? Gentle Northumberland, if thy offenses were upon record, would it not shame thee in so, far, in so fair a troop to read a lecture of them? If thou wouldst, there shouldst thou find one heinous article containing the deposing of a king and cracking the strong warrant of an oath marked with a blot damned in the book of heaven 
Nay, all of you that stand and look upon me, whilst that my wretchedness doth bait myself, though some of you with Pilate wash your hands, showing, showing an outward pity, yet you Pilates have here delivered me to my sour cross, and water cannot wash away your sin. I think it's important to note that gentle does not mean, oh, like soft and gentle. It just means well-born here, mm -hmm. which is, is interesting to note because a lot of the time when someone says gentle, we think like, oh, someone who's very tender and whatever. And he's not <laughs> saying that about Northumberland. He's just, it's a very, it's almost could be used as like a very icy term. And same with the word noble. That could just mean part of the nobility, mm -hmm. <laughs> not necessarily of noble mm -hmm. character as well. So that, that, fun double meaning is also can be played with a lot. So I like how Richard here goes from a sort of directly to Bolingbroke, what you've done to me, and then to what all of you have done to me. Um, there's, there's an interesting, uh, you know, what's he focused on? It's sort of like second circle and then third circle. It's like all of you mm -hmm. who are looking at me have, are a part of this horrific uh, sin which is just fascinating. Uh, so then Northumberland says, my Lord dispatch, read o'er these articles. Mine eyes are full of tears, I cannot see. And yet salt water blinds them, not so much, but they can see a sort of traitors here. Nay, if I turn my eyes upon myself, I find myself a traitor with the rest, for I have given here my soul's consent to undeck the pompous body of a king, made glory base and sovereignty a knave. Proud majesty, a subject, state, a peasant. My lord. No lord of thine, thou hot, thou hot insulting man. Nor no man's lord. I have no name, no title. No, not that name was given me at the font, but tis usurped. Alack, the heavy day. But I have worn so many winters out and know not now what to call myself. Oh, that I were a mockery king of snow, standing before the son of Bolingbroke to melt myself away in water drops. Good king, great king, and yet not greatly good. And if my word be sterling yet in England, let it command a mirror hither straight, that it may show me what a face I have since it is bankrupt of his majesty. Go, some of you, and fetch a looking glass. So I just uh, wanted to point out just a super nerdy thing that I just realized, which is that standing before the son of Bolingbroke also sounds like son, S-O-N. And that one of the first things that Bolingbroke's son will say in the next is he's going to compare himself to the son, mm. right? And here and will imitate the son. So there's this really interesting through line of, of Richard is the son, right? Then the son becomes Bolingbroke then Hal decides to imitate the son and then he becomes the son. So there's a really interesting trajectory over a whole bunch of different um, plays. And they've that. reversed fire and water positions. <laughs> yes, Richard's exactly, right? Because when you're the, the bucket mm -hmm. full of water and he's mounting up on high, absolutely. And the son of Bolingbroke. I also, this is yeah. such a, this scene with the, or the, this, speech above when they're trying to get him to like read the list of offenses or whatever it's so like the crucible or I guess the crucible is so that yeah. it's like he's willing to say yeah. all of these things that he doesn't really believe he's guilty of or like take some kind of responsibility and make a show of it but if you want me to sign my name to it it's like that's where the line is drawn yeah. which is so interesting Absolutely. it's like 
I can't. There's that one step that he can't take. The, it's it's just it's so the it. like, give me my name, like let me. Yeah. Yes. Like, I don't have another like that. Yeah. I think we saw that production we did. at the old Vic together. We did, yeah, ages ago. Yeah, that was a great one. That's right. Give me my name. It's um, wonderful. I also just wanted to mention it's for lines like, um, alack the heavy day that I have worn so many winters out and no, not now what name to myself. Oh, I love that. Um, which I just did, a, which a lot of you participated in a little uh, favorite lines from Shakespeare project. And the two characters that had by far the most lines were number one was Richard II. I got more Richard II lines than any other character, followed closely by Hamlet, wow. obviously. But, <laughs> but I thought it was very telling. I had four people submit, I wasted time and now the time waste me. It was kind of extraordinary how, how much these lines stick with you. But I remember uh, our wonderful friend, Jane May, her favorite line was the Alack the Heavy Day line about, I, I don't know what to call myself. It's just a yeah, quite extraordinary. I feel like this play is just line. so people really connect to it in times of like trouble, like personal yeah. like, hardship. So I feel like this speaks to that so specifically. I mean, and we'll get to, you know, we'll get to it later when he's imprisoned about being alone and like in isolation yeah. and all <laughs> the things that we're all sort of experiencing right now. But yeah, yeah I think a lot, a lot of people just feel that way right now there's a reason this play is like there's a reason so many people chose lines from this play I think absolutely and I think time the time as well is exactly definitely out of joint as it yes. were so Northumberland who just wants to keep this trial going and is like can we just the commons we've got to deal with them and in a certain sense he's very pragmatic here he's like they won't accept this deposition unless they understand why. And so in a certain sense, he's being incredibly pragmatic and he's going through all of it, but he's just not very tactful. <laughs> and so after this amazing speech, he basically says, oh, hey, while we're waiting for that glass, read over the paper while the glass doth come. Yeah. Let's be efficient here. Well, he's just not gonna like entertain any of this ridiculous, Richard just asked for a mirror <laughs> in the middle of this, like what the hell? Like, yeah. just just like see let me I'm look at myself. Okay. Like, I just want to see how I'm holding up. Like, what are you? The inevitable. He's yeah. going yeah. like full like, Blanche Dubois here. Like, let's be <laughs> And in, in the next speech of his, he's going to turn into Helen of Troy. So <laughs> there you go. Let's wait for that. It's just about to happen. He's about to turn into Helen of Troy. <laughs> oh my God. Read o'er this paper while the glass doth come. Fiend, thou torments me ere I come to hell. Urge it no more, my lord Northumberland. The commons will not then be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. I'll read enough when I do see the very book indeed where all my sins are writ, and that's myself. Give me that glass, and therein will I read. No deeper wrinkles yet. Hath sorrow struck so many blows upon this face of mine, and made no deeper wounds. No flattering glass. Like to my followers in prosperity, thou dost beguile me. Was this face the face that every day under his household roof did keep 10,000 men? 
was this the face that, like the sun, did make beholders wink? Is this the face which faced so many follies that was at last outfaced by Bolingbroke? A brittle glory shineth in this face, as brittle as the glory is the face. For there it is, cracked in an hundred shivers. Mark, silent king, the moral of this sport. How soon my sorrow hath destroyed my face. Okay, I'm gonna pause right there because we gotta take the part that speech a little bit. I mean, my God. Um, Was this the face that launched a thousand ships? Exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Carol. I was just gonna bring that up. This is, I think, very much uh, Shakespeare's ode to Marlowe, right? (laughs) This is a, a sort of ode to Dr. Faustus, which his play, Dr. Faustus, which was very, very, very famous, very popular, parodied ad nauseum in the film Shakespeare in Love. Um, like everyone who auditions comes in with the same speech and it's, <laughs> was this the face that launched a thousand ships? But right, th- that speech was about Helen of Troy. Here, you're holding a mirror and you're saying, is this face that I'm looking at? So you become Helen of Troy, which is wonderful and interesting and fascinating that um, you take on a different kind of power, the power of a, a beautiful woman whose beauty destroyed two nations, essentially. <laughs> so there is something wonderful and destructive about this image, I think. I recently got to work on this speech with some professors. Uh, it was such a pleasure to work with uh, two professors at Mary Baldwin uh, University, their Shakespeare and Performance program. And they had me do this that we were, we were talking about the questions and like, what's going on with these questions? And they had me choose which questions were rhetorical and which were actually questions. And so we, we came up with, there was this really interesting way that the first two questions was this face, face, this is like to everyone, right? But then there's this wonderful verb shift from was to is. And it's like, that becomes the real question. Is this what I've really become? You know, there's something, anyway, obviously there are so many different ways to interpret that, but I thought that, and I just wanted to do a shout out to them and and thank them both very much because it was a fascinating look at all of these different ways in which what is the point of focus? Like, who is this to? I think there's many, many choices to be made. Is this whole speech to the whole court? Is it to Bolingbroke? Is it to yourself? Um, is it to the audience? I think different parts of the speech can be um, directed to different focal points, but I think the more specific each one of those moments is like in performance, I think the more devastating the speech will be. And also, my God, what an incredible dramatic action. It's gotta be one of the few things besides like, he stabs him and the other guy dies. You know, (laughs) this smashing of a mirror, which like seven years of bad luck guys, like, can you imagine how much bad luck every night, every night smashing? Um, Well, he doesn't have that many years left. I know, right? He doesn't, exactly. (laughs) And he's gonna have bad luck for the rest of his life. So there you go. There you go. But I remember in in case anyone is uh, wanting to do this, this play and is really uh, flummoxed as to how on earth to smash a mirror safely on stage. When I was a kid and we did this production, we discovered that we could laminate the mirrors and then we could actually smash them and they would smash and crack, but they wouldn't, the shards of, of mirror wouldn't go out. 
all over the place. And so we have this gorgeous collection because my sister and I were both playing Richard and we had one dress rehearsal and two performances. So we have six smashed mirrors that we put in our, in our hallway at home. Oh, they were really, it was pretty rad. Nice. Um, nice. But yeah, I would highly recommend it. Very safe, very cool. <laughs> um, very go and break all the mirrors you wish. Um, <laughs> anyway, so now we get, if we could get from Mark Silent King, cause I just want to get that wonderful mm -hmm. back and forth between the, the two. I just love how it's, it's so Snow White. <laughs> so like, there's a great version of Snow White actually where Vanessa Redgrave is the evil queen. And oh, she wow. has this whole like speech to the mirror after she thinks Snow White's been killed. And she's just like admiring herself in the mirror. And she's like, oh, there's not a line. Like, oh, look at my neck. And it's, it's amazing. And it's basically this speech. Like it's basically... <laughs> It's basically Richard, like, oh, flattering glass, like, Look not at a wrinkle. Me. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. That's, I, I gotta see it. that. I'm a huge Vanessa Redgrave oh, it's fan. So, oh, it's so I gotta good. see that. And it's, the Snow White is, uh, the, the one who, this is terrible, I can't remember her name, but in Downton Abbey, who plays the American, like, mother. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, she's also, she's oh, is one. it McGovern? McGovern, Elizabeth McGovern. McGovern. Yeah. The Snow White. So cool. good. Wow. Vincent Amazing. Price is the mirror. Sorry, guys. This is <laughs> Coming not, to a theater near you. Not a movie, but, <laughs> but That's Vincent awesome. Price I'm totally going to check that out. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, yep. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Mark Silent King, the moral of the sport. How soon my sorrow hath destroyed my face. The shadow of your sorrow hath destroyed the shadow of your face. Say that again. The shadow of my sorrow. <laughs> Let's see. Tis very true, my grief lies all within, and these external manners of laments are merely shadows to the unseen grief that swells with silence in the tortured soul. There lies the substance, and I thank thee, King, for thy great bounty that not only gives me cause to wail, but teaches me the way how to lament the cause. I'll beg one boon, and then be gone and trouble you no more. Shall I obtain it? Name it, fair cousin. Fair cousin, I am greater than a king. For when I was a king, my flatterers were then but subjects. Being now a subject, I have a king here to my flatterer. Being so great, I have no need to beg. Yet ask. And shall I have? You shall. Then give me leave to go. Whither? Whither you will. So I were from your sights. Go, some of you. Convey him to the tower. Oh, good. Convey. Conveyors are you all that rise thus nimbly by a true king's fall. On Wednesday next, we solemnly set down our coronation. Lords, prepare yourselves. So those two lines is where the quarto picks up. So all of that that we just read with Richard is not in the quarto, which is kind of oh, extraordinary. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Um, I loved, Mike, how Bolingbroke got a little, oh, just get the fuck out. That was great. <laughs> that was so fun. Because it's got to be like, I think it's just extraordinary that we see Richard take every single thing that anyone says he's like a very good tennis player right now it's just like every everything that's served at richard he just oh yeah 
he just Rally. kills it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just extraordinary. Like, I love that. It seems like you're trying to get to his land of imagery with the, you know, the, the shadow of your sorrow is destroying <laughs> you. you know, it's like you're trying to, like, get on this plane that he's on. And then Richard's like, huh, that's interesting. You're right. You destroyed <laughs> me. You know, it's just like yeah. really intense. It just, how did the, it's And to the point intense. where it's finally just like, what do you want so you shut the fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Of mirrors. It's oh, also exactly. so like, it's so, uh, he's just such a show off. Like he's smashing oh, yeah. a mirror. Smashing oh, yeah. a mirror is so like, this is mine. Look, this is also mine. This belongs to me. This is you why can't you have can't it. have nice yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. 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 Like, smash yeah. all my. It's like a kid throwing a tantrum, except he's so calm, cool, and collected about it. Like, he's like, I'm oh, going to break all your stuff so you can't play with play with it when you're a king. That would so, be a like really a creepy child if it was yeah. like, they were like, looking at you while throwing a mirror or <laughs> yeah. breaking a glass or whatever and then like yeah. haha now you can't play you know like yeah. it's like really un unsettling about that <laughs> it is it's, it's creepy yeah. i love how it gets super hamlety too at this moment with the yes with the, the shadow of the sorrow makes me think of you know i know madam i know not seems yes it's that when they're like why can't you get out of these black, you know, these drab black clothes. It's sort yeah. of that same, it's like- Seems, no, nay, it seems, is. Like yeah, it. like, it's like, exactly, it seems yeah. like something. No, 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 no. This is mm -hmm. my reality. There's something really beautiful about that. Thank you for that, Zoe. That's a wonderful connection. And in fact, a lot of sort oh, yeah. of scholars have seen Richard as sort of a proto-Hamlet, like a prototype mm -hmm. for Hamlet, who came a couple years later. Quite, quite something. And no, poor Bolingbroke is like, I'm out of here. Everyone get your red robes for the coronation. I gotta go like have a drink. <laughs> now, I, now I have that, was it that, with the Hamlet reference with the shadow of your sorrow thing. Now I have that, what's that one, what's that show with the, um, uh, the Canadian show? Oh, um, Things and Arrows? Yeah, now I have the uh, uh, Hamlet. Rise up, have it. Pop, pop, you melancholy day. <laughs> Great song. Classic. Great like show. Best show. See oh, if yeah. you can see it. It's now streaming on Acorn TV, which really? I don't know how you get access to that, but I <laughs> know that it is now online for the first time. That's phenomenal. So, hooray. <laughs> yeah. So then everyone goes out except for... What I don't understand, this is a bit of a logic jump for me. So Carlisle was just accused of treason and is on stage with two co-conspirators now who, like, O'Murrell was just accused by, like, 503 people of being treasonous. And somehow these guys are just left on stage unguarded at the end of the scene. I'm like, hmm, okay. But so and now we distracted. hear... They're distracted yeah. by Richard's great performance <laughs> totally totally i also sorry i just wanted to add the other thing i really like about this journey of this scene is at the end how it becomes the, these like short little this little back and forth yeah and richard um once when bolingbroke's finally like cut the shit and we're like all right um i like the idea that not that you know as we've been saying it's very layered everything richard 
is saying in these speeches. But I like the idea that it becomes the performative aspect is taken away when he finally asks permission to basically to live. Yeah. Um, that's like the actual stake. Those are the stakes, actually, when we boil it down yeah. at the end of the scene, then give me leave to go, you know, whither you will. So I were from your, like, let me live my life somewhere. Like, don't kill. I mean, he's basically saying like, don't kill me. Yeah. Please. But then Absolutely. is that last, is that last little bit, the line that whither you, uh, you will, so I were from your, is that like one last little fucking dig? Yeah. Right? Totally. I mean, yeah. Totally. It, yeah, sure. I mean, I guess, yeah, you can play it however you like, but I think just knowing that those stakes are there. Oh, don't, oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I'm, the, I'm just, I'm, I'm asking because it's, it's one of those yeah. things. It's like, he, he basically, yeah, he begs for his life. And then it's like, yeah. it seems like he's just like, well, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to know. Yeah. yeah. You don't need and to put know. Me bitch. In a boat yeah. And <laughs> put a hole in it for all I care. I just want to be away from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love the, even the, oh, good. I love oh, that. Good. When oh, Bolling good. Brooks, like, <laughs> when Bowling Brooks, like, convey him to the tower, he's like, oh, good. Good. Oh, okay. good. Great. Cool. All right. <laughs> it's um, also it's it's wonderful that it's. I love the way you 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 read that, Zoe. Of just sort of like, oh yeah, I knew we were coming to this. Y'all can go jump in the lake. You know, like it, it's such a wonderful. You're all implicit in this sin, you know, and that's that's powerful for the people who witness it. As we'll see in the next, th th this scene and this interaction is going to haunt the people who were there for a long time. It was very affecting. So now we have yet another, oh, I guess, it's, okay, I just answered my own question. So the abbot is the abbot of Westminster. So that means that the abbot of Westminster is the guard of Carlisle. Okay, I just answered my own question. Take, I, I take it back from whatever it is. So the abbot says to Carlisle, now that he's guarding him. <laughs> a woeful pageant have we here beheld. The woes to come, the children yet unborn shall feel this day as sharp to them as thorn. Holy clergyman, is there no plot to rid the realm of this pernicious blot? My lord, before I freely speak my mind herein, you shall not only take the sacrament to bury mine intent, but also to effect whatever I shall happen to devise. I see your brows are full of discontent, your hearts of sorrow, and your eyes of tears. Come home with me to supper. I will lay. A plot shall show us all a merry day. Rather an odd rhyming couplet to end the scene with. Yes, a plot of treason that will show us all a happy birthday. Like, it's just it kind of a strange little jaunt there. But again, this is obviously not popular with the clergy. Now, can anyone think of why the clergy would not be into this idea of deposing a king? Ooh, could it be divine right? Ooh, perhaps divine right! <laughs> <laughs> well done, Myrie! <laughs> yeah, oh, I, think, I think there's something very dangerous about this from the church's perspective because it's if you can take away the kingly authority, you know, you could very easily take away the ecclesiastical authority as well. Quick question, Ari. At what point did that become like a a thing? That the divine that, right? Of yeah. Uh, yes. Oof, yeah. That's a great question. I don't know. 
my guess would be before this play. <laughs> that it could be like happening. Well, I think it goes back at least as far as Charlemagne. And um, I mean, I, that's, that's sort of a standard that the king is endorsed by the, um, by the Catholic church, but is God's regent here on earth. Mm. And, well, and, and king's cultures, right? Yes. Like very common, like those in, like emperors and things like that are the yes. divinity aspect. It's like a very common thread, I feel like. And, and, and Zoe, that's, that's so true because that's not even Christian. I mean, even in, in non-Christian cultures, the emperor would be, you know, the divine, in, you know, sort of incarnation. Mm. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it goes to my favorite nerdiest history joke, which is the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Discuss. <laughs> um, like, you know, where do they come up with these names? It's just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so obviously the clergy is not happy with this. And O'Merle, who is obviously cousin to both of the kings, um, remember O'Merle is uh, the Duke of York's son, um, but that they're all, um, I guess he would be considered sort of a loyalist. And uh, Henry really struggles throughout his reign to get the clergy on his side. I mean, one of the most important conspirators against him in Henry IV Part One is a character we only meet in one scene, but it was the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is, a or no, I'm sorry, the Archbishop of York, who was the two archbishops, the one of Canterbury and of York, are the two sort of highest officials in the realm. So to have one of them ag actively plotting against the sitting king is like, tells you a lot about how sort of unstable the political realm was. So what do we think of Act Four, everyone? Any, any final thoughts about, about this strange short scene, act, act scene? May I say something? Yes, of course, Bill. Well, we were talking about Hamlet, the, sort of a, a precursor to Hamlet, but in a strange way, as Zoe was reading the lines and uh, and so on, I, I was thinking of Lear. Um, it's a very a very different situation, but in both cases, Lear is you know against the storm and you know um, didst thou give all to thy daughters and art thou come to this and so on, by divesting being divested of the kingship, this this social or, or this construct, if you will, both characters achieve a kind of freedom to say whatever they want. They suddenly are you know, they're not constrained by any of the kind of, you know, in Lear's case, of course, he's mad, but um, mm. it seems to me the, the no more, the, the emphasis on no, isn't there a lot of no's and nothings and stuff like that? Oh, in Lear? very much. That's a wonderful point. And Lear is maybe my favorite play. So I'm, I'm always Mine happy too. to talk yeah. about Lear. Mine's but I, I, I think there's, um, there's something, there's absolutely something there that, that both characters, when they truly have lost all their political power, they find an intellectual power and a, a clarity, like um, Lear's The Poor Naked Wretches speech right before he goes mad is maybe the most like lucid, insightful moment that he has in the entire play, you know, about I've been a horrible ruler. I haven't taken mm -hmm. care of my people. I can't believe that people have to live out in these horrific elements. I am at fault here. And I think we're going to see that jump because I think right now, Richard is, is still like very aware of his situation, but there's not a lot of reflection on how he got here and what he did wrong. 
And I think mm-hmm. it, it, he will have that moment in the next act. We'll, we'll have that moment where he goes, oh, hang on. I can't blame everyone. I ha- there is a reason I'm here. But yeah, I, that's, that's wonderful. And I, I always think, you know, the, the, the more you know about the, the canon, boom, the, the more connections you start to see. Um, mm-hmm. That was something I, in one of the books I read. You know, it's like the more you know about Pericles, the more I can teach you about Cymbeline and w- whatever it is. You know, the, there are resonances within the plays. There's a lot of character types that keep reappearing. And I think the sort of, for lack of a better term, the sort of protagonist of, of Richard, of Hamlet, of, you know, of Lear has this incredible journey that they go on of, of you know, they all kind of start off as maybe a little bit arrogant, <laughs> mm-hmm. a little bit um, just a smidge. And then they go on a journey in which by the end of the play, they sort of achieve a clarity um, and a self-awareness that they did not have mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, and, and that's a fascinating thing to watch as an audience, right? Is to, to watch any game. Well, thank you all so much.